Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. This week we're in beautiful Lanarkshire, in the heart of Scotland, an area with a long tradition of food production. The Clyde Valley famously produced rich pickings across the dairy and vegetable food chains. I went along to visit some of the businesses who now make up Lanarkshire Larder, a regional food group that includes food and drink producers, restaurants, cafes, pubs, hotels and farm shops, all of whom share a passion about the provenance and quality of products they sell. First up, everyone's favourite, cheese. I met Selena Cairns who runs Errington Cheese. The business was started by her dad back in the early 80s and continues to produce sheep and goats cheese, one of the only businesses in Scotland to do so. Scotland Food and Drink were sort of promoting regional food groups and there was nothing in Lanarkshire at all. And we've probably got more food producers here than any other region in Scotland. My next stop was Thackerton Farm where I met Michael Shannon who rears and produces all the meat for his butchers and supply shop, Damn Delicious. I never really thought of Lanarkshire for the beautiful county that it is. It's absolutely stunning. Like, I took my staff out this morning at 8 o'clock out of the front door of our shop and made them stand and look around and just, you know, just enjoy the beautiful area we live in. It's a stunning setting. From the countryside, I headed to Straven to sit down with Theo Giamos, owner of Roasted, the kind of cafe that every town should have. His business ethos is very much focused on sustainability, locally sourced products, socially conscious and environmentally friendly practices. He told me about a lot of challenges being faced by the business and customers alike. So a customer had recommended or suggested we do this, so we started it, but what actually happened, there is areas of deprivation in Straven and people that are in need, because we've got a food bank now, and although you've got 500,000, 600,000 pound houses and everybody's got two cars, they don't talk about poverty in, in Straven, but it is present, but people have this thing about going into a place like this. So what I end up doing, I collect them once I get up to a certain figure, I then give it to various charities. Less than a 10 minute drive away, my next meeting was with Robert of St Bride's Poultry. He took me to meet some of the lassies and the odd laddie being fattened up for Christmas. These guys are now two months old and by the time it comes to December that'll be them six months old as opposed to some supermarket breeze which would maybe just live for two months. Finally, you'll hear me chatting to Andrew and Linda of Greenhaw Country Cafe and Farm Shop. They've been growing and expanding a business. 
the original idea for which was born at a dinner party where they served crocodile, ostrich and wagyu beef. And Linda was always glad that we didn't like the crocodile because she didn't fancy keep crocodiles here. So. <laughs> I met up with Selena Cairns of Errington Cheese at her farm in Wollstonebury Head. We visited the pigs, sheep and goats before sitting down to chat all things cheese. farm in South Lanarkshire near Bigger and we have about 150 goats, dairy goats and 350 dairy sheep and we process all the milk into cheese here on the farm. Blue cheese called Lanark Blue is what we started with back in the early 80s. We started milking goats a couple of years ago so we also make Bigger Blue which is a blue goat's cheese and then Coraline is a hard sheep's cheese and um, we make a selection of fresh goats, cheeses, Elric Log and Black Mounts. And so they get sold to farm shops and delicatessens and to wholesalers who distribute it to restaurants and hotels sort of down the country. We just had a traditional farm and I think my father just felt that he didn't want to be reliant on subsidies and things. So there was a tradition of milking sheep, you know, if you went way back in the area. So that's how it all started. And I think he just liked blue cheese. (laughs) So that's why, you know, when it all came about. I suppose we're very small in the scheme of things compared with the, the big dairies producing cow's milk just because the sheep and goats obviously don't produce as much milk and we can't obviously buy any in because the there isn't any. <laughs> I asked Selena if there were similar businesses in the country and to tell me more about how they make their cheese. No, not in Scotland, I don't think. Um, but down south, there's lots of people milking sheep and goats. Um, and obviously, even more if you go over to France. <laughs> so we mature that the sheep are sort of seasonal in their milk production. So we make it from sort of February to August and September. So they're just drying off the sheep just now. And um, so it does vary a bit. So by Christmas time in January for Burns Night, it gets a bit stronger and more spicy, whereas it's quite kind of sweet and mild in the spring. The bigger blue we make, um, the goats one, we don't make so much of that, but it's um, all year round. And the Coraline, the other sheep cheese we make, is um, made like a cheddar in a very traditional way. And it's matured in muslin cheesecloth and matured for about a year, which you can see as you come into the building at the front there and we sell a lot of that in very specialist kind of restaurants and you know cheese counters. Lanarkshire Larder was the brainchild of Selena. I asked her to tell us how it all come about. I suppose it's a year and a half ago now the Scotland Food and Drink were sort of promoting regional food groups and there was nothing in Lanarkshire at all and we've probably got more food producers here than any other region in Scotland and I just felt a bit frustrated I suppose that nobody was you know there was no central body you know trying to promote it and get funding to do that and um, so we started off and we've um, got funding from Scotland Food and Drink and South Lanarkshire Council and North Lanarkshire Council so we've now got 62 members so really short space of time it's really good so we're just 
kind of still in the early stages. We've had various events and we've created a food trail and food maps and we've sort of been attending local shows like Bigger Show and the Balloon Festival in Straven. Um, and it's really just to bring all the producers together so we can work together and, you know, even just find out about what's being produced in the area for the farm shops and the hotels because sometimes you just don't know, do you? If nobody's there sort of bringing it all together, you know, all working together for the greater good. So the more people know about Lanarkshire as a whole and the produce that we're producing here, like it should benefit us all because people see it as, you know, an area that's producing high quality produce. You can join if you go onto our website, lanarkshirelada.com. There's a link there for joining and... We've got two part-time regional coordinators, Gillian and Alison, so they can help you and answer any questions that you have. Selena wasn't too forthcoming about the awards her cheeses have won, which include the title of Best Scottish Cheese at the 2019 World Cheese Award for their Lanark Blue and Coraline. I asked her about this and to tell me more about the food trail set up as part of Lanarkshire Larder. <laughs> Yeah, we've been very lucky that we've won some awards over the years for various um, different things. I think they've all all won things from time to time. So it's nice. It kind of boosts staff morale and, you know, people give you something to talk about, doesn't it? Which is nice. So it's a trail that you can, I suppose you could follow the whole thing or you could follow part of it. And there's a map on Lanarkshire's website. So if you wanted to visit bigger, we've got the Shield Hill Hotel and the Crown and the Elphinstone Hotel. I think, I hope I'm not missing anybody out in, in Bigger. And then there's ice cream producers, tailors of Bigger. And then you can obviously go and there's fresh fruit and veg from Shirley's. And there's gin from the Wee Farm Distillery, which is just up the road. So it just gives you an idea of different foodie kind of things you can do in the area. And obviously go and eat in some of the um, hospitality venues. And then if you went down to the Clyde Valley, there's farm shops and garden centres that, you know, also have lots of food. And then there's New Lanarx. There's lots of different pieces along the trail that you can go and visit with your family or, well, maybe not the gin ones so much, but we've, we have got lots of gin producers in Lanarkshire. So, um, you know, if, you, if you, that's what you like, you could do a wee trail, go around and see them all. Finally, I asked Selena where people could find out more about the business and what's on the cards for the future of both Eddington Cheese and Lanarkshire Larder. You can buy our produce online and probably most other people's as well. Um, there's a page for every producer and hospitality business on Lanarkshire Larder's website and also a link through to the producer's website. So it's a good central place to go to to, to find out what's happening. It's a bit of a tough time for business generally, a bit uncertain. So, yeah, we're just going to keep working on the produce we've got just now. And then we're hoping to have a sort of pop-up farm shop um, over Christmas. I mean, you can obviously come here and buy it directly from us just now, the cheese, um, but have a something a wee bit more shop-like. <laughs> Hopefully we, we manage to attract some more members and, you know, we just start doing a few more events and um, just build it up. travelled south and turned into what looked like a large supply store on the main road about halfway between Lanark and Bigger. We found a butcher shop stocking everything you might need for your dinner and beyond. Here's Michael Shannon, owner of Thackerton Farm and its farm shop Damn Delicious. 
we're at the farm shop at Damn Delicious in Lanarkshire and I'm joined by owner Michael. So we're going to talk a little bit about the produce available here and how you came to run the farm and what people can expect. So hi Michael. Hello. So can you tell us a little bit about all the produce you've got here? Okay, so we're very passionate about all the meat that we produce. We're farmers as well and all our beef and all our lamb is 100% grass fed. So we're quite unique in the way we farm in that we don't feed any grain or any barley or any meal uh, to any of our animals. They're outside all year round. So in the summertime they're eating grass and clover and then in the winter time they're eating kale or sweets, turnips and a little bit of silage just for roughage in the diet. What this does is, in my opinion, makes the meat particularly flavoursome. It's very high in omega-3s, very healthy. So there's great benefits to it both for the animal's health because they're not housed where they get all these horrible things, ailments, chest infections, etc. and all the rest. They don't get any of that. They're outside all year round. But also then for the people that actually use the products, it's a very healthy product. We're standing in front of a fridge. So can you just sort of talk us through what it is we're looking at for people to get like a sort of idea? So we do everything from raw to cooked. We process all our own meat here. All the animals go to a local abattoir. Uh, we're very short and trying to keep our food miles as short as we can. So they go to a local abattoir, it's the closest abattoir to here. They're moved across there, then we bring them back here. We have all our own butchers on site and they process all the meat. So we make all our own burgers, our sausages, anything else, any other meats that we can't produce here. We buy in from as local as we can do. So, for example, our bacon comes from a very old uh, established bacon curer in Ardrossan. We do things like Stornoway black pudding, Charles McLeod Stornoway black pudding. But then all the sausages and the burgers and all these other products, they're all made here on site. And we also then on site, we have our own bakery where we make all our own pies. And we use what we can find is the best ingredients and we try and make it the most sort of tasty product that we can. And it's, so it's all traditional pies, so like steak pie, and then you've got scotch pies, macaroni pies. So, so the steak pies, etc., and all the rest, we cook them. So we cook the stew overnight. It's all really slowly cooked, so it just falls apart when you eat it. We then have quite a bit of meat. It's a bit of a challenge. Having as much meat as we can fit in the pie, but still having a little bit of room for the gravy so that it's not dry. So we do steak pies, we do mince pies, we do curry pies. We've started doing a few different things like chicken and ham with a cheesy sauce. They're really, really good. And then what we're finding a big growth in the, uh, in the shop is things like ready meals. So we do parcels, we do fillet balmorals and chicken balmorals. Uh, and these sort of products are really a sort of a growth area, the area where people come along, just grab and go. Although where we are and the type of product we are producing, you were trying to produce a really high quality product. Uh, we find a lot more foodies come to us. So people are really into their food, want really good meat. They're maybe eating less meat now. There's definitely a move to eat less meat. So they're choosing to, to if they are gonna eat meat, eat the best meat that they can possibly afford. You've also got some fruit and veg here. So is that, can you tell us a little bit about that as well? So the fruit and veg actually, well, we started that when we moved into the new premises, we started doing fruit and veg. We found there was most of the customers coming in going, where's the fruit and veg? It's quite, it's harder than you think to get local fruit and veg where we are. And it's ridiculous because the Clyde Valley was famous for producing lots of veg. But most of those producers have all gone now and it's actually quite difficult to get uh, fruit and veg. So what we now do is one per soul being me, gets up a few mornings a week and goes up to the Glasgow Fruit Market. So that's a pretty early start. We arrive there at four o'clock in the morning. 
wherever possible to try and buy Scottish in, but certainly English, it has to be British. So, you know, there's no bananas on display, as you can see, because we don't grow bananas in this country. But uh, what we're trying to do is get, sort of stick to as authentic, and also as well as that, I'm very determined that we're going to be seasonal. So strawberries are finished now, so there won't be strawberries in here. I don't agree with the whole thing. We also need to keep a little bit of traditional uh, aspect to the business. And if I, I have a real thing about, you know, strawberries on Christmas Day that have come from South Africa. Do we really need them? So there's also, there's condiments, there's juice, and there are like sort of muesli, breakfast items, jams, marmalades, and fresh coffee. So it's a one-stop shop. One of the things we've done since we moved across the new premises, uh, we've actually, as we're recording this, have had to make the joiner stop. He was making too much noise. Um, what we're planning to develop with, uh, there's definitely demand. We're in a pretty amazing setting. The scenery is pretty awesome around us. Um, and we're planning to do hot filled rolls using our own products. We put in a fairly expensive big coffee machine. And so it's planning to do more takeaways. Anything we're trying to do, we're trying to add to the enjoyment of our meat. That's really the primary sort of thing that we're trying to do here. This is our kale over here, where we grow kale and um, rape and sweets, and that's what the cattle eat in the winter time. So it's like they just get fresh green food, all those bales over there and that lines. So we were one of the first uh, people to um, start doing what we do with our cattle. We rotationally graze our cattle, so all our cattle move every single day of the week, um, every single day of the year. They move to a fresh uh, area of grass and what we're trying to do is maximise the production from the grass but it also then makes, uh, it's good for the animals but it's also really good for the land as well because the cattle are moving all the time and not standing in one spot so in the winter time we're not getting poaching and then in the summer time they're moving across and the insects and the livestock and all the things that go with cattle go with cattle and they're moving across the fields. So we'll we'll finish just uh, we'll finish about 150 to 200 a year just off grass alone, and then we're running at our peak during the summertime. We'll have about 250 cattle in the place, so we will. There would be more, but they cost an awful lot of money. <laughs> Michael, that is not a Scottish accent. So whereabouts are you from? So originally from County Down in Northern Ireland. I had a previous career in the seed industry. Travelled all across the world with the seed industry, but an opportunity came up in Scotland and as a young lad of 18 I thought that would be a good career move and I would move across here for a couple of years and then go back to Northern Ireland. And that was 34 years ago. <laughs> so, um, well and truly, and now I would count this, I still, I will always be an Irishman to the day I die, but my children are all been born and bred here, my wife's from here. And I've now lived here twice as long as I ever lived in Northern Ireland. So your business is part of Lanarkshire Larder. So can you tell us a bit about why you wanted to be involved in that? Well, basically anything that can promote Lanarkshire. You know, when I first came here, I'd, I worked, lived in Edinburgh for many years. And this farm came up for sale. It was in Lanarkshire. And my perception of Lanarkshire 
uh, have, after having lived in Edinburgh was steelworks, Ravens Craig, heavy industry, all that sort of thing. I never really thought of Lanarkshire for the beautiful county that it is. It's absolutely stunning. Like I took my staff out this morning at eight o'clock out of the front door of our shop and made them stand and look around and just, you know, just enjoy the beautiful area we live in. It's a stunning setting. And anything that promotes this area, because we're not seen necessarily, I wouldn't have said Lanarkshire was seen as a larder of Scotland, whereas it is. If you take the Clyde Valley, famous for fruit and veg for many, many years, that's an industry that's gone. The Clyde Valley was famous for apples, numerous orchards, they're trying to rekindle that. So anything that generates, basically that promotes this area, anything that's good to bring more people into this area, so they get to enjoy what we get to enjoy every day. Like I keep saying to my kids, you know, someday you're going to be sitting in a city somewhere looking out at a concrete wall. Enjoy, think back to the area that you live in. I once had a discussion with a guy out of the council who was telling me that you should... Uh, you should promote more Michael on Facebook. Just take pictures around the farm and all the rest. And I'm saying, but Pally, it's so boring. Just what if it's all, he says, boring. He says, I'm sitting in an office looking at 20 other folk all day. He says, and yeah, we picture pops up of Tinto Hill or something where we are. Just a beautiful location. It brightens my day up. It's funny because we're sitting in your office and it's got windows on all, all sides apart from one and it's lovely looking out the trees and I've just said before we started, it's much nicer than my office because I'm looking at the wall of the building that I live in. <laughs> well to be fair actually our house, we built this house so we did and it is all windows, there's windows everywhere and the windows and it, we lived on the farm, there was no house in the, when we bought the farm. And I lived on the farm for a couple of years before I decided the location of where I would put the house, try to put the house. And it's all windows, but a lot of that is down to having lived for about nine years in a basement flat in Edinburgh with no sunlight that nearly killed me. So I want windows. And as well as that, I want to enjoy the views. I grew up in County Down in Northern Ireland, and our view was the mountains of Mourne, where the mountains of Mourne sweep down to the sea. Now I wanted to enjoy the, the area that we live in. So you talked a bit about the meat that you have not been fed any seed, basically. What was the dis- decision for that? Does it stem from your old job or like what, what made you want to? In my previous life in the seed industry, I was sent to New Zealand to have a look at different systems. And one of the main things we went to look at was look at low cost systems. And I saw things happening in New Zealand, things that I had never understood as a farmer could happen. So that we could get really high daily live weight gains. We could grow our cattle just using grass, just by the correct management. You know, I had spent my life in an industry where all I was trying to do was produce more grass, but never actually thought of, well, what does the farmer do with the grass once he's grown it? How's it managed? And we were making, we were, quite frankly, we were making a complete mess of that in the UK, in both islands, both Ireland and, and the UK. And uh, so we've changed all that. And it was basically just to try and be a more efficient business. Um, we were Originally, it was to reduce costs. Then you get the added benefits of the health benefits of it because they've now proven that the higher an omega... It's not as high as oily fish, but it is higher than conventionally reared beef. That's, that's the key factor. Um, and so um, the omega-3 thing is a big thing. And if there's anything that can help uh, both reduce our reliance on cereals and imported products, imported soya, etc., coming from halfway across the world. If there's anything that can do that, we can produce more, better quality, higher with a better health tick box 
for both the animal and for the person that's actually using it, then I think it's a win-win. So one of the newer parts of Lanarkshire Larder is the trail, so people can obviously follow it and stop off at different places. What is your experience with that so far? I'm a big believer in the trail. The trail would be a really good idea. There is no doubt that people do come out. We get customers come out from Edinburgh and Glasgow, come out as far to shop with us. Um, and if we can bring more people into the area and give them more choice in the area, so they don't have to come to me every week, but they might come to Errington Cheese or come to some of the other people on, on the trail. Um, but hopefully they'll also some week they'll come to Errington Cheese and then the next week they'll think, well, I'll go to Damn Delicious. So there's lots of different opportunities. And if people know that there's lots of choice because people, and I'll be honest with you, until I joined Lanarkshire Larder, a lot of the producers, I didn't know they existed. You know, we, we met up, we talked to each other and, and there's a little group um, and I didn't know they existed. And there's an awful lot of choice and an awful lot of really good producers um, within Lanarkshire that I didn't know about that when I know about. So if the trail is educating people that they can come out into Lanarkshire, have a lovely day, experience lots of different things, eat in lots of beautiful places, pick up some lovely food for, for going back home for the rest of the weekend or the rest of the week, then it's all good. I take it your business is called Damn Delicious because everything's damn delicious. <laughs> oh, the, the name Damn Delicious, I don't know. Like, you know, I sometimes wonder whether it was a good idea or a bad idea. My mother was disgusted. She was always disgusted that we used damn in the title of uh, our, our uh, business. But what I was really trying to do was emphasise that whether it's a piece of beef, whether it's a piece of lamb, whether it's one of our amazing Christmas turkeys, the experience that you would get is I want you to lean back from the plate and go, that was damn delicious. Well, thank you very much. I will need to uh, pick up one of your pies and, and have one tonight and say that was damn delicious. I am quite confident that you would. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. As it happens, I did try Michael's steak pie for my tea that night and I'm happy to confirm it was indeed damn delicious. We left Michael and headed for Straven where I sat down with Theo, owner of Cafe Roasted, whose enthusiasm for doing things a particular way has presented him with great opportunities, but also some unforeseen challenges. I'm now in Roasted Coffee Shop in Straven with owner Theo. Hi Theo, how are you? Not too bad, how are you? Good, thanks. Yeah. So we are turning about uh, Lanarkshire, um, speaking to different people on the Lanarkshire Larder Trail. So could you just tell me a little bit about your involvement with Lanarkshire Larder to start off with? I was approached by Lanarkshire Larder, sold this story of promoting and, and using and just opening up all the lovely producers that we have on Lanarkshire Larder. It is basically just a group of like-minded people that are all producing in, in and around South Lanarkshire, which I think is great because it promotes us as individuals and then puts us on the on the map effectively, and I kind of like it. So we're sitting here in your shop and obviously no one can see us because it's audio, so could you just tell us a little bit about what's on the menu and kind of the ethos behind what it is you do? So Roasted started four years ago. I had a contract terminated a month before Christmas and I was like, that's it. I'm not going to work for the man anymore. I'm going to find something to do myself. And I've been looking for the last, I've been here now, this Christmas will be 20 years. So from day one, I was always looking at doing a business. But in hindsight, I think if I'd got one 20 years ago or 15 years ago, I don't think Straven would have been ready for what I had in my head. But anyway, four years ago, I wanted to do a restaurant. So it was all geared up to, to do a restaurant and something snapped in my head. I said, 
why why restaurant why work every night why 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 do let's do a coffee shop and do like finish at four or five and and what have you and that's how that sort of came about as i sort of i thought i'd bring coffee or decent coffee to town put a lot of emphasis and effort into sourcing good quality suppliers for milk and my coffee and bits and bobs and it all started from there there is coffee shops in straven and i got in trouble for saying and what do you got to do? Make coffee. But we make coffee. No, I'm going to make proper coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that upset a lot of people in the beginning. But Do you feel now that everyone's up their coffee game? Or are you? No. No, not at all. And, and I don't understand that. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't compute. I knew what I wanted to who, who was going to supply my coffee. I knew who was going to supply the milk. I knew that I wanted to make my own bread. So I'd sourced a Scottish flour producer. And even when I placed my first order, my phone rang and it was Angus from... Mungo's Wells and he goes uh, don't mean to pry but you've ordered so many bags of flour do you you said you were a coffee shop yeah, yeah but I'm intent on doing this this and this okay so, so and it was just that was one of the pre-conversations but no I, I, everybody else in Straven's had the opportunity over the last four years to to source better milk or to source different coffee and they've just stuck we're blessed um, there's a new coffee roaster in town he's up at the industrial estate because I've got everybody hooked on the coffee that I'm using at the moment, it's really hard to break away from that. And every day you have so many people come in and go, coffee's amazing, coffee's amazing, and it kills me. But because I've got a second grinder, I'm gonna feature Fowl Coffee as a, as a guest in the next couple of weeks, just to sort of show the love. Um, but it's a tricky one because you've got everybody hooked on this, this coffee from Glasgow. And I can't, <laughs> it's not that I'm afraid, I've tried putting different coffees on, and people like them, people hate them. This one is consistent and it's it's just, I don't know, it just works. Is it Deer Green by any chance? No, it's actually, it's uh, the Good Coffee Cartel. Oh, nice. Oh, in fact, we should have seen, <laughs> there's a little tin over there, so yeah. So yeah, actually speaking of that, you've got like some bits and pieces for sale as well and you've got food, so you've got toasties and sandwiches and is that all the bread you make? Yeah, so all the, all the toasties and the sandwiches uh, feature on the sourdough that, we, that I make. The brioche rolls are for the bacon rolls. When we started to do the bacon roll, we used Robinson's bacon from down in Ayrshire, make my own brioche rolls, and we were arguing. I was like, right, what are we gonna do? Do we, do we make a chutney? So that was an easy no-brainer, so we make our own chutney. And then it came down to the long debate, how many bits of bacon do you put on a bacon roll? <laughs> do you put two or do you put three? Is three excessive, two's not enough? So we put three bits of bacon on there. It's smoked bacon. Everybody that has a bacon roll for all the carnivals out there, just, they go, wow. The, the way I look at it, if you're gonna do something, do it, do it right and do it, do it properly. Don't cut corners. Hence the three bits of bacon, not two. <laughs> and so you've mentioned a few suppliers there. So is it sort of like sort of Scottish kind of localish people that you work yeah, with? Yeah, absolutely. So Moskill's 20 miles down the road. The flour, they come from uh, East Lothian. Good coffee cartel. Obviously Scotland doesn't grow coffee, so we're at the mercy of the other, other regions. But they've got ties and buy directly from the producers and stuff like that. So they're cutting out the middleman effectively and the, the producers getting the money as opposed to getting bought by a massive cooperative and then the producer's getting left out. So in that respect, yeah, it's, it's, it's paying attention to where your ingredients come from and making sure that the person that's supplying it is getting looked after. And if this is the second time I've said this today, that's not a Scottish accent, so whereabouts are you no, from? No, no, so I was born in Australia to Greek parents. When I was working in Sydney, I met a Scottish chick, really liked her, but she had a chef who was a boyfriend. Um, after six weeks, they went their separate ways and I was there, picked up the pieces and 
rest of it was history. But when it came to her leaving, I was like, do I say goodbye at the airport or do I follow her? So I sold everything and moved here on the 28th of December, 20, 2002. So this year will be 20 years. Wow. And that's not a great time because you'll be used to hot, hot, well, yeah, hot winters, but that's your summer. summer. <laughs> I, keep, I keep mentioning this and people go, what? So one Aussie dollar was buying 33p at the time. <laughs> I came here and then I'd left a job that was paying me 45 grand a year over there to work here for like 13k or 15k. It was like ludicrous. So I've built a lot of resilience and perseverance, but Scotland's home now. This is where my house is. I've got three kids, so. Coffee culture in Australia has always been... Oh, huge. So even when you were there, was it like yeah. this now? Well, we're, so when I left in, 20, in 2002, it was established. When I first came here, it, it was just, it was rubbish coffee. It was Costa, it was, and I shouldn't... Speciality coffee wasn't, wasn't a thing here. And in Australia, we don't use the word speciality. We just use coffee. You've got good coffee and rubbish coffee. But even in the town that I grew up in, like 38,000 people, three hours away from Sydney, when I went back in 2009, they had a coffee roaster. They had, it was like the, their coffee game had, had stepped up as well. Yeah, because it's funny to think now, given how good coffee is in all the different coffee shops, specifically if you're in a city, what it was like before. But yeah, there just didn't, it just wasn't a thing. Like no, it wasn't. It was, if, you, if you look at a lot of the speciality coffee shops in Glasgow in particular, we all sort of started around about the sort of the same time. 2018 seemed to be the magic year for quite a few places because I know when I opened up on July the 2nd, the week after, my friend Gillian opened up Maze in Finiston. Oh yeah. And now she's got one in Deniston as well. But it's like one of those things, it was like, there was speciality coffee, but it, it wasn't accessible. Mm-hmm. And here in Straven, they had really good, tailors around the corner did really good beans. And that was the place that if you wanted a cup of coffee, you went. And then I, like a genius, came along and now provide this a second place where you could come along and have a cup of coffee. Um, so I can see up there um, near your coffee machine there's suspended coffee so can you tell me a bit about that? Suspended coffee was introduced in America and basically you would walk in and suspend the coffee so if you're you'd order a flat white but order a second one and what it would mean then you'd walk away with one the second one was paid for so during the course of the day a less fortunate person than you could come along and, and buy one. So a customer had recommended or suggested we do this, so we started it, but what actually happened, there is areas of deprivation in Straven and people that are in need, because we've got a food bank now. Although you've got 500,000, 600,000 pound houses and everybody's got two cars, normally two Range Rovers or Teslas, they don't talk about poverty in, in Straven, it's a sort of, it's shushed away, like a big shh. Um, but it is present, but people have this thing about going into a place like this so what i end up doing i collect them once i get up to a certain figure i then give it to various charities i've donated to the scotland homeless project was the last one that i donated i'd rather give it to people that can use the money as opposed to sort of sit there and and think and then what i normally do is if i've got 100 coffees and i've given it a value of two pounds fifty so that's 250 quid i normally double that myself and then give that to less fortunate people. So you seem to have an interest in sort of sustainable, ethical and local focus. So can you just tell us a bit about that? I also lectured in one of my former lives. <laughs> and when I was lecturing, I was trying to introduce the sustainable journey. I was trying to introduce a compost. I was trying to introduce compostable cutlery. But the powers to be were against it. They, they thought that that point, £25,000 on a composting unit was too much money or, or what have you. So this was back in 2012. 13 and 14 I was trying to 
to enforce this and make it make it common practice that everybody in the canteen had to use compostable cutlery cups and all the rest as opposed to the styrofoam boxes and bits and pieces so this was like eight years ago but I was too much of a visionary back then so when I was working at UWS and they were all doing it I thought that from day one that's what I was going to do so from day one when you come here all the cups are compostable the cutlery is compostable the napkins compostable brown paper bags everything was compostable and the reason I did that was I thought we need to start respecting the, the the world that we live in and by making these little changes and being like a little guy the next big thing that I sort of did was a living wage employer and because again small business why can't you look up after your staff but from day one the focus has been on where does that ingredient come from so for me and I'll just name two suppliers Macduff Beef I get my brisket and my shin from and McLean's Gin because of him and his cherry bakewell gin I've got this tart that I do as a cherry bakewell and I haven't had it on for three weeks because there's a supply issue at the moment he hasn't got the bottles and I can't get the gin and everybody keeps on saying when are you going to get the, the cherry bakewell tart back on I'm like leave me alone <laughs> but they everybody loves it they go go, go crazy for it are they online at Charlotte? Believe it or not, they are. It's funny because there's, there's a lot of people that I've been using before Atlantic Charlotte evolved and just sort of happened that, oh, hang on a second, these guys are. I asked Theo about the challenges his business is facing in the current economic climate. Costs are going up every week and it's becoming so fickle, like really fickle, because you can't just keep putting your prices up the minute something goes up. And one of my suppliers actually has a disclaimer on their invoices. Prices will be going up, and there's nothing you can do about it. End, end of. And I'm like, I wish I could do the same thing. <laughs> and this is all the energy crisis, or, or is it kind no, of everything? No, it all started with Brexit was the first sort of the ripple effect, um, but it all started with the Ukraine war, because apparently flour comes from Ukraine, but I use <laughs> East Lothian flour. It makes sense, but it doesn't make sense, and I think a lot of people just jump on the on the bandwagon. I remember. When I was working in Glasgow back in 2005, we had a bacon prices went through the roof and I said to my milkman, I said, why, why is bacon going through the roof? Chinese. I said, what's the Chinese got to do with bacon? Oh, they want to live a Western, Western lifestyle. So they started buying up all the bacon. They started buying up all the milk. So you saw bacon and milk just go. And I was like, yeah, I didn't, didn't believe it. But it, it just seems that media will say one thing and then everybody just jumps on the, the bandwagon. And this is on the back of coronavirus, we won't mention the war. <laughs> yeah, I know. It has been like a perfect storm of everything possibly going wrong. If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. What are anything exciting coming up? So the, plan, the plans were always to maybe have a, a number two. But the problem with that is where does number two go and, and what would you do with number two? And what, what would number two look like? Would it be a replication of this? Would it be... So it's not, not as straightforward um, as that. So at the moment, I'm focusing on keeping this one alive um, and making sure that we can get to the end goal. Um, my friend messaged me yesterday, found this really cool horse box. We can turn it into a coffee cart for you. I'm like, that's great. <laughs> but it's like, it needs three grand from me. I'm like, eh, that's not great. So there's so many things that I would like to do, but ideally, if I had a coffee cart, then that would be amazing because it means next year at the Balloon Festival, I could have a, have a stand down there at the moment just tread water keep keep supporting as many local supplies as I can and then keep providing uber cool food and hopefully getting your cherry bait whale cake back well hopefully <laughs> fingers crossed I've been told three weeks <laughs> bottle issue <laughs> so if someone was walking in the front door tomorrow and looked at your menu what is the one thing that you would say you absolutely have to have this oh that's a tricky one 
because we do a lot of cool things. <laughs> but I would have to say it'll either be the brisket, toasty for the meat eaters and the med if you're a vegan because the whole thing from start to finish is plant-based and it's so tasty. Well, thank you very much. Not a problem. You're welcome. Less than a 10-minute drive away was my next meeting with Robert of St Bride's Poultry. He took me to meet some of the lassies and the odd laddie being fattened up for Christmas. These are Norfolk Bronze, and the reason that we take this breed is, well, twofold. They're a hardy kind of breed, and they're good for slow growing, which is what we do, so it's a natural kind of, of rearing process. These guys are now two months old, and by the time it comes to December, that'll be them six months old, as opposed to some supermarket breeds, which would maybe just live for two months. So the other thing is that they have great flavour, and we process them in a very traditional manner, so we hand pluck them and then we hang them to dry age for two weeks normally. So that this really gives you the traditional type of farm fresh Christmas turkey. I'm now at St Bride's Poultry with owner Robert. Hi Robert, how are you? Hi Rosalind, I'm fine thanks, how are you? Good, thank you. Um, if anyone can hear sort of um, snoring in the background, it's not that anyone's fallen asleep, it's Lola the Labrador is having a bit of a nap. <laughs> so Robert, can you just tell us a little bit about your business and how you go into what it is you do? Yes, so uh, we set up St Bride's Free Range Poultry in 2009 and it was actually on the back of the financial crash that we had another business which we lost. We had the, the property here in the outskirts of Straven and... We thought it'd be a good idea to get involved in poultry, especially as my background was in poultry and I'd been brought up in a poultry farm. My dad was a, was a poultry farmer. The selection process for the poultry that we bring onto the farm is slow-growing breeds in a kind of natural process. It's low-input farming, it's small-scale farming, and it's sustainable farming. That's really the type of farming that we want to do. And these breeds that we select are the right breeds to let us do that, that type of farming. The turkeys that you saw earlier were hatched in July and we'll keep them until we process them sort of beginning of December. So when we process them, we plot them by hand and then we dry age them for a minimum of, of two weeks. And what that does is it really gives you the best possible product at the end. And as well as turkeys, you've got other poultry as well. So can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so it's the same selection process for uh, chickens, which we, we have throughout the year, and uh, ducks. So it's the same low input farming. The breeds are selected to, to be hardy breeds that will, will thrive in the, this type of um, environment. What have you noticed that's changed? Obviously, you say you grew up in a poultry farm. So what was it like then versus now? Well, originally when my dad started farming, he would be doing a similar type of farming to what I'm doing now, but this is this is 50 years on. And and at that time, poultry farming in particular was changing from kind of small-scale intensive farming to industrial farming, you would call it. So the birds were coming from outside and going inside, and they were getting produced in much bigger volumes. So we've kind of turned the clock back and gone back to 
to the way that poultry farming used to be. In Scotland, there's only a handful of us doing this type of farming. And do you sort of, have you noticed over the years as well that there's more consumer demand because there's a more of an understanding of that kind of farming? Yes, yes, I think so. I think that, you know, one of the problems with the UK food market is a price-sensitive market. At our end of the market, it's not a huge market. For instance, in the UK, only 5% of poultry is free-range. So that means that 95% is intensively reared indoors. And the reason for that is to control the costs, really. So, yes, I mean, it is changing and people do want to understand where their food is coming from and how it's produced. And there is a greater awareness of that nowadays. Mm-hmm. And whereabouts can we buy your, your poultry? So you can buy direct from the farm. You just go onto our website and you can order on there. Uh, we also supply restaurants throughout the country, really or give us a phone. And how was that, obviously, with restaurants and things being closed during COVID, did you have to sort of do more direct selling? Yes, so pre-COVID, 95% of our business was with restaurants. And obviously, with with the lockdown, that disappeared overnight. So we were kind of left with a few hundred, even more than that, a few hundred birds on the the farm with, with no outlet for them. We started to sell to individual households, which actually... In the first couple of months with, with COVID, with the lockdown, really took off in a big, in a big way. That kind of saw us through the, the, the really bad time of the initial lockdown. I have to say that the restaurant business has not come back to the same level as it was pre-COVID, although we, d- we do have an increased demand uh, on the household side. So Turkey's Christmas. Um, what, so what should people be looking for when they're buying their turkey? So I think the, the first thing is that turkey tends to be the centrepiece of the whole Christmas lunch or Christmas dinner. So buy the best bird that you can afford because there's, there's a substantial difference between a free-range, traditionally produced bird than one you would buy in the supermarket. And I think if you've got that standard of bird, that kind of sets the whole Christmas lunch thing up. And the, the reason for that is that our birds are that they take so much longer to grow and mature. And you get the depth of flavour, but you also get a good fat covering, which means that they, they cook better and don't dry out the same as uh, a faster produced bird. So I wouldn't necessarily need to do the whole turkey in the bucket thing that I usually do. <laughs> Not with one of St Bride's turkeys, you wouldn't have to do that. No. And what is it that you do on Christmas Day? We try to stay in bed on Christmas Day because we've, <laughs> we've had... About a month of pretty much no sleep. But no, we do have the family round on Christmas Day. Um, we do have a St Bride's turkey. Although a couple of years we haven't had a St Bride's turkey because we've sold them all and been short. So yeah, turkey's a relatively new Christmas tradition for us, is that right? Yes, it seems. I mean, I, I have great uh, recollections of being a boy on the farm with my dad and caponising all the cockroaches for the Christmas trade. So... We would do that probably late summer, early autumn. In those days, the birds are chemically castrated, as opposed to in, in Europe, where they still physically castrate the, the cockerels. So I would think about 80% of all the Christmas birds sold at that time would be capons as opposed to turkeys. Now, it's absolutely the other way around now. You know, I think probably about 90% of all the poultry sold would be turkeys at Christmas and a few capons and chickens and ducks. And what, was, what is a capon like? Is it, is it just like a 
big chicken? Like, what is it like in terms of chicken to turkey? If anyone's never tried it, yeah. I think the thing is, if you if you eat a a, a proper free range slow grown turkey, then the flavour is going to be it's a stronger flavour, a more gamey flavour than a mass produced turkey. On the capon side, they're they're not going to be as strongly flavoured as the turkey. So, but they will be, be stronger flavoured than chicken because the bird is older and the way it, the way it's fed. So, somewhere in between a chicken and a turkey is the flavour of the capon. So, you're part of Lanarkshire Larder, and we've gone around different businesses to sort of discuss that with them as well as what they do. So, what has it been like for you being part of the the Lanarkshire Larder and the Trail? We're really in favour of setting up regional food groups. I think it's the way forward for for the food industry. We were involved really from day one. I think if you go into Europe, especially France, then regional food really is is a big deal in Europe. And it hasn't been in Scotland. And I think it's it's mainly because it's been under-resourced. You know, we haven't really put any resource into making this happen. But I think more strength to the regions. With Lanarkshire Larder, we've mainly been doing marketing. But I think... On the back of the marketing, then we should be looking to have sales drives on the, on the back of that and creating more and more business for the members as we, as we go along. All in favour of it. It's a really good thing and I would like to see it driving forward. Well, thank you very much. And um, I should probably say this because there's turkeys. Have a good Christmas when it comes. <laughs> really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> My last stop of the day was Greenhill Cafe, where I met Andrew and Linda to talk about their unique business. So I'm now at Greenhill Cafe and Farm Shop and I'm joined by owner Andrew. Hi Andrew, how are you? Fine thanks, just finished a, a busy day here so it's, it's good to get a seat for a, wee, for a wee while. For anyone that's never been, could you just tell us a bit about your business? It's a kind of long story, we started, uh, we had a, a dinner party years ago and we had crocodile and kangaroo and wagyu beef. And then it was just after that we thought that wagyu beef was really nice, but I think we could produce it ourselves. So about seven years ago, we bought our first breeding heifer and then we just gradually grew the herd. We started selling from our garage, just selling it online. And then we basically expanded the shop, expanded the shop twice now, added a cafe, um, which opened the September before the first lockdown. So we were just starting to build up steam and then we had to obviously close and, and lock down again. And for anyone that doesn't know, what is wagyu beef? Well, Wagyu is basically translated as, as Japanese cattle. It's basically it's a breed that comes from Japan. They buy it off at top restaurants. And there's restaurants in London that sell it. It's very expensive. I think there's one that sells it at one pound a gram if you buy a steak. We're nothing like that. We're a lot cheaper. We generally produce, I wouldn't say Japanese Wagyu, we produce Scottish Wagyu, which is generally a Wagyu bull crossed with an Angus cow, um, which gets the best of kind of both worlds. Andrew's wife, Linda, joined us to talk about the business almost 10 years into it now, so it does take a while. Um, obviously cattle are nine months gestation, minimum two years fattening, so it's a slow process, but we're at the stage now where we're numbers, we're herd numbers are up good enough, I think for next year we should be processing a lot more regular. Why did you have a dinner party with Crocodile and, and that? Was it just something that you did? <laughs> because of him. <laughs> well, we've been watching these sort of, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here things, and we just fancied trying it and then it was just after trying the wagyu beef which was, was superb that night and um, we just thought we would 
it's a strange thing, I know, but we just started um, producing our own and it saved a lot of money trying to buy it online, uh, producing ourselves a lot cheaper. And Linda was always glad that we didn't like the crocodile because she didn't fancy keep crocodile seals. So. <laughs> I wouldn't be here, I don't think. <laughs> but no, that's how it started, and it's um, it's just it's one of these things. It's just growing arms and legs, you know. Initially, we we couriered the beef from what is now the shop, um, and then we get permission to open a small farm shop in 2016, which we did, and it just grew. We got a good customer base, um, and then they started with oh, you need a tea room or something like that as well, and hopefully. Um, it's going to be one last extension, we're going to make it bigger again. And then we self-supply both the shop and the cafe with the Wagyu, the sausages, um, the burgers, the steaks for the steak nights. Which kind of answers my question, what can people expect from the cafe, a lot of, a lot of Wagyu beef? Not tons. We could incorporate a lot more. We've got a new chef just recently started, so ideally with his ideas, I mean, he'll be able to do a lot of chefy things with some of the different cuts. So for lunch, basically the Wagyu steak baguette that we do, um, that people because they get to try Wagyu beef, but it's not it's not priced um, too expensive for them, so they can still come in and enjoy it. And generally, people come in, they have the breakfast, or they have their own sausage or own other. They like it that much. They go into the shop, and they buy a packet of sausages or burgers on the way out, and they can enjoy them at home as well. Do you find people are quite surprised at that because it's seen as such a premium product that they, they probably don't think that they're going to get a Wagyu steak baguette, and then they're quite surprised? I think because we cross with the Angus, which is quite a common way of doing it, you get a bigger animal, so you can bring the cost price down. We do full bloods as well, which is 100% Wagyu that you can trace, basically trace their genetics back to Japan. That's a bit more expensive, but it's... We're talking 30, 30 pounds a steak um, for the full blood, maybe 15 for the cross wagyu. So it's it's within people's, well at the moment, money's going to obviously getting tighter for a lot of people, so I don't know what the future will hold, but we've certainly kept it as reasonable as we possibly can. And is wagyu the one that was like, you know, getting massaged and all that kind of, all these stories about <laughs> pampered uh, cows? Yes, what we've learned over the time is that that's, yes, they do that in Japan, but it's more down to necessity rather than improving the quality of the beef. And what we found or found out about was um, we had two sort of Japanese professors over to see our business and they were explaining to us that a lot of the wag over there are kept in small sheds and because they're so confined that they would rub on the side of it and they might get sores on the side of their, 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 their skin so they would rub oil into it just to stop any infections and then it's that hot in the summer the cattle would stop eating so they would feed them the, the kind of byproducts from the, the brewery industry to help stimulate their appetite Whereas in Scotland, we don't need to worry about things getting too hot and we've got a big enough shed. So these are things that we don't need to do and I personally don't think it would make much difference to the quality of the beef. And for anyone coming in here for the first time, what's the one thing you'd say on the menu you have to have? I think the all-day all day breakfast or a Wagyu burger would be the two things I would suggest. I think we, I wouldn't like to blow our own trumpet, but I think we do probably one of the best the best breakfasts around. Aye, folk. Certainly book in, they book in one Sunday, they'll come the next Sunday, they can... Gluten-free breakfast, is, we're getting a good name for our gluten-free breakfast as well. We've spent a bit of time sourcing some of the ingredients for it. Obviously they're not just as readily available, but I would say the ingredients list that we've got for it now, the products that we have, I think we'll stick with. I think everybody's happy with it. And what do you sort of see for the future? Do you have any exciting plans coming up? At the moment we're looking at, we do have a decking area, which we added through lockdown. We're looking at either an awning or some kind of covering so that we can use that basically 365 days a year hopefully and um, that gives us an extra 20 seats because hindsight's a great thing when you build something and it becomes successful you know, why didn't we do it bigger why didn't we do that the one thing we didn't want to do was get 
too many seats that people are waiting too long to get served. We want people to come in, have their lunch, and they can go again. We don't want a big, you know, people sitting for hours and not getting served. And then obviously for Christmas, we're looking at Christmas party nights and, and progressing things that way. But that's basically what we're trying to do, is trying just to get a larger seat near And you mentioned Christmas there, C word. Um, do you guys find that people buy beef for Christmas or is it a sort of a... My Christmas order book is open already and I've got roasting joints ordered already. So um, yes, they do they buy beef. Um, we, we stock Kelly Brown's turkeys, we're on beef, uh, gammons, we steak pies. Wagyu steak pies are just unbelievable, the amount of them. Yeah, beef and steaks. A lot of people, you know, want to have steaks. I mean, hopefully it's something different for their Christmas dinner as well. I look after all the cattle and help in the kitchen. Um, and my daughter Erin, um, she actually, we, we put a bakery on out the back as an extension and she basically works in there and baking all the cakes for the, the cafe. So she's at college um, for a few months now, um, sort of honing her skills and proving what she can do for the cafe. Um, yeah, it's a, a good family run. Can you tell us a bit about any recent success? Going back to again to the cattle and the breeding, we had quite a nice wee proud moment earlier on this year. Um, we sold two of Papa, our bull's um, offspring, two young bulls, fully DNA sampled, registered with the Australian Wagyu Breeders Association, had their certificates printed off in, yeah, in three days. Out. Three days a young farmer of five came down, came down and took the two of them and they were looking really good which is great because it puts us in a position to help somebody else in the same position that we were in, you know, nearly 10 years ago. So does that mean there's going to be Wagyu beef from Fife? Because I'm from Fife, so I need to keep an eye out. Yes, there will be. This young farmer in particular, I think it was a 300 Teddy, Aberdeen Angus, Angus. These are two happy boys. You know, 300 girlfriends between them. (laughs) So they have... We did ask the young farmer, what's he going to do with the beef when he produces it? And he didn't actually have... A plan at the moment, I think, because he's well, he's going to be three years anyway before he's got his first one there. And I said, What about a farm shop? He says, I'm not sure. Um, so they might be trying to sell around restaurants. And I said, Well, just be careful because we tried to do that at the very start, and it was taking two or three months for restaurants to pay you. And that was one of the main reasons why we wanted to expand the shop and the cafe so that we could just sell our own beef direct to customers. And it was just to, to avoid the waiting to get paid. With everything that's happened as well, I mean, direct to customers probably for the best now with everything going on, so... Well, through lockdown, that's where we found that they were, were very good because we could do vegetables, burgers, steaks, because obviously through lockdown, cattle don't stop growing. Cattle still need to be produced and, and we did sort of uh, meat packs and we delivered them around the local area and it, uh, certainly a lot of people appreciated that and it certainly helped us when we opened up again. People remembered that and it, the cafe's been pretty much fully booked most days now. So if I want to come for my breakfast at the weekend, I need to book? We, we always recommend you book. We do t- take walk-ins, but we do, if you want to be guaranteed to come in, sit down, enjoy your lunch, you're better to book a table. The one thing we didn't want to go to was it's one of these sort of buzzer systems and not take bookings that people just queue up. It was mainly through lockdown. We didn't want, when we opened up again, too many people sort of standing together because we had to get rid of, I think, four or five tables to space them out in here. So we just had a strict booking system and we've just continued that. People seem to appreciate that. They can come in, sit down and enjoy their food. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's clear to see Lanarkshire Larder is a welcome addition for the businesses who are part of it. It'll be really interesting to see how the group develops and supports its members in some extremely challenging times. Thanks to all the businesses I visited and chatted to for this podcast, and thanks to you for listening. Please remember to rate, review and give us five stars. Also, subscribe to Scran wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. 
Scran is a Laudable podcast that's co-produced and hosted by me, Rosalind Erskine, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton. Thank you.